Ciao, welcome back to another episode of Herb of the Week. I'm your host, Kyle. Today we're going to talk about one of the all-time favorite plants of mine. For most herbalists, actually, I don't know most, but many herbalists regard this plant and just lay people in general for how beneficial of a medicine it is. So many ways, so we're going to cover a lot of it. The, the plant is elder. It's a tree, actually, the elder tree. The elder tree begets elder flowers, elder berries. Ever heard of them? Yeah, they all come from this great medicine chest. I was, um, I had this particular episode planned to do this one the week before Christmas, and I kind of changed my mind at the last minute, and I did that Ophiuchus episode, and then I did another one on Christmas tree. But if I would have stayed in my spreadsheet according to my plan, it would have been awesome to match up this elder tree with the the 13th month of the year. So in the Celtic calendar of trees, there's like this corresponding calendar in uh, of of the moons corresponding to certain trees and the energetic patterns of the trees and the archetypes of the trees according to the Celtic wisdom of working with the land. The 13th moon of the year is the elder moon. It's the elder time of year. So it, would, it also makes perfect sense, you know, back a couple of weeks ago, I think it still makes sense now, even though we've kind of graduated from the elder moon and now we're moving into the new year birch moon. So birch is also a great tree to be meditating on right now in this time, in this particular month, elder too. I, either way, I'm putting elder under the uh, category of Capricorn. See, Capricorn represents the old time of the year. This is the oldest time of the year, the oldest part of the sun. Um, this is where we get tropes like old man winter, right? And the elder and the older, I think you can see where I'm going in here, whether it's the old man winter or the crone archetype that's also embodied in the elder tree. We have this symbolism of the opposite of youth, right? It's the youth part of the year is when the sun is high and we feel lots of vitality moving through us and it just feels good like kids to be running around in the summertime. In the winter time, when the sun is low, that's the old time of the year. It's the Capricorn time. So there really is no coincidence, actually, that this plant is called elder and has such a strong affinity for this time of year. It's in. It's probably the reason why it's called elder, <laughs> to be honest. But let's look at some of the other names for this plant too. So, at least some of the English names. This a lot of this. Um, the history and the information of the elder tree comes from the Celts, comes from people indigenous to Europe as well. Celtic lore, things like that, Germanic names. Well, as I list some of these names, I want you to be aware of that they're all cultural representations of the folk magic that is so prevalent with the elder tree. It's really, really a magical plant. Okay, so we have pipe tree and if we cut the um, the trunk of elder, you'll see one of the things that is a characteristic of the elder tree is that the, as it gets older, it starts to have like a hollow stem on the inside. 
So older elders, <laughs> trees, are kind of hollow and they're brittle and um, at least the inner bark or like, sorry, the inner pith, like the heartwood can be, uh, it's kind of like uh, spongy and you can easily clean that out with an instrument and use that as a pipe or also use it as a, um, a whistle, something to blow onto a fire. So pipe tree, frau elhorn, that's a cool name, boar tree, as in, uh, again, you're like boring into this tree in order to uh, make a, a pipe, I guess you could say. Devil's eye, that's a Romani uh, name for it. Why? Because the dark black berries, they have this way of, mm, they absorb all of the light, it seems like. They reflect their own blackness. It's crazy. They're like little um, spherical black mirrors on a, on a tree, especially if you see it in the morning time when the dew's on there. It's, it's very, very um, dark. <laughs> um, I think that the word elder has a connection with the Saxon word eller, which means kindle, like it's kindling. Not just because the wood is really good for kindling because it's so brittle and easy to break, but also because of that idea with, you can hollow it out and use it as a pipe tube to blow onto your fire to restart the kindling as well. So the, as far as folk magic goes and some other names that are associated with elder, it's said to be inhabited by a nature spirit named Hildemore. This is from like Northern Germanic, Scandinavian countries. They all have different names for Hildermore. So Hildermore, which means elder mother, and Hilda sometimes refers to the elves. So it has a strong connection with elf and the mother elf. So Hilda Moore or mother elf. Um, some other names like, okay, so in philology, you can move around vowels a little bit and you can replace vowels. And um, there's letters that you could swap out. It's permissible to swap around letters when exploring the etymological sources of words because some of them have the same utterance. For example, like puh and buh both come to the front of the mouth and they, they make that exclamation from the lips. So P and B are interchangeable because some, I don't know, accents would accent that P aspect where others would be the B aspect. So anyway, Hildemore is also referring to Holda. The berries in uh, uh, some areas in Germany are still called Holda berries, Halda berries, Holda, Halda. What comes to mind when I say Holdemore? There's another interchangeable version, especially in the Germanic languages, where the H is a placeholder for a V. So we have Holda, Volda, Walda, W2. Holda, Volda. So we have Holdemore. Voldemort. 
Ah, I didn't say it all the way. But think about it, though. Why are some characters, or some stories for that matter, so culturally powerful that so many people know the stories, are drawn to them, and um, they survive for generations and generations? I'm thinking about stories like the Iliad and the Odyssey, and even modern depictions of those same kind of classic stories like Star Wars, Harry Potter. The reason why is because they're using archetypes that are available based in nature. And these names, like Hildemore, are referring to a witch, an uh, which might be considered an evil spirit or an aspect of nature that is not desirable to the youth, that's not desirable to that which is young, that has a special amount of power that is otherworldly, like the elder tree, that you can use its wood to make the elder wand, which is a very powerful wand in the story, right? Like that's the, the wand. I went and got a whole bunch of the sticks that I had trimmed from my elder tree that's in my garden. It's like the central part of my garden. And um, uh, we had, I just trimmed it over the winter to make it grow back in a way that I like to make it grow. And there's a certain way to do that too, by the way. I mean, talking about trimming the elder tree so that you don't have uh, the wrath of the fairies and the wrath of the, of the Voldemort <laughs> and, or Hildemore, I should say, Voldemort, Holdemore, all of those names. Anyway, uh, and that reminds me, in the Capricorn box set that we had just made for Tippy Canoe Herbs, I took a whole bunch of sticks from the elder tree that I have in my garden. I just trimmed it down for the winter. And there's a specific way to do that too, as to not invite the wrath of the fairies or Holdemore, Hildemore, Voldemort. And um, and anyway, we took these these sticks and made them into little sections and wrapped them up with some yarn and made them into little elder wands and whatever. Whatever. No, they're not just sticks with yarn. They're this is a tree with powerful magic that is available for it. So I could just talk about how people back in time, oh, they were so superstitious. They actually thought fairies were there. It was said that if you stayed underneath an elder tree on midsummer's night, which is the other solstice, right? And just sat there and watched underneath the elder tree that you would see the fairy king go by with his entourage of fairies. And I'm just imagining back when I was a kid, before I was deprived of <laughs> the magic of the world and inviting that back again in my life. And uh, just, I'm just imagining this coming summer where I'm just gonna sit out underneath this tree <sighs> on midsummer's night with my son. And maybe when he gets a little bit older, we could stay up a little bit later and just sit there watching, waiting for the fairies to go by. And I wonder what they would look like and how magical they were. And I've already kind of played this scene through in my head and um, getting to the point of the night where it'd be like, no, it's too late. Well, I guess, I guess they're not coming. I guess magic isn't real. <gasps> What's that? And then just seeing, you know, like orbs going, going by, just like little orbs or something like that. 
um, ah, to be, to be young at heart and to see the magic of the world truly for what it is again. I think that is one of the great lessons of the elder tree as elders of our society teach us as well, like the respected elders, which is almost like that bridging the gap between, um, you know, you have, you have the, the babies that are really close to God, you know, they just came from, you know, or the creator or whatever you want to call it, the, they just came from the world of the undifferentiated form and now they're into form. And then we get older and we start to lose layers of that meaning and magic. And then as we get closer and closer and closer to the point where that cycle ends, it's like getting closer to God again. And you could see that wisdom. You could see that um, magic for what it is. And so it's the elders that have this way of uh, passing down that magic and wonder of the world, you know, bypassing almost the, (laughs) um, the logic of our adult minds and passing that on to kids. I think that elders in general is, uh, is, is an extremely important part of our society. And then, and just without getting too far into it, I think that one of the, one of the ailments with society and what it, it is today is the lack of uh, respect for that office and that station. But yes, magic, magic, magic tree. Um, so this, it's the fairy mother. And as you might recall from our Hawthorne episode back in July, I was talking about that being a fairy father. So there's the anode and there's the cathode. There's the positively charged, masculine, thorny, projective, red berry, Hawthorne tree that has a maybe exit from the fairy world into our realm and the entrance the into the, the fairy world like as negatively charged black dark berry um, feminine divine feminine principle inward into the fairy realm into the cavernous other world um, parts of our psyche and reality that's what the elder represents and because of that um it's just like back in time it was commonly known like don't let your kids play under the elder tree <laughs> why because fairies are always uh i i don't know what the deal is with fairies and abducting kids i don't know if it's if it's because they can't have their own or they just like to screw with people or something like that but there's this common thread of like fairies abducting taking kids and then you find that in all types of stories like in uh that movie with david bowie for example things like that you know there's like the chosen one they always gotta take their take their kids and grow them um and and sometimes it's just trickster stuff where they're like hey come on down you want to come down for a little cup of tea we got some honey we got some sweets we got a cookie and the kids are like oh okay well i i can only stay away from my parents for one minute and they're like, okay, one minute, that's it. It'll take you. That's all it'll take for a cup of tea. Right. And then they come, they come back up and it's been like a hundred years later or something like that. So the magic of the fairies and they're, and they're always playing tricks. So that's why they say, don't let your kids play around the, the elder trees alone. I am thinking about, um, how 
the elder trees always have these blackberries all around them <laughs> and how that's going to stain my kids clothes and my clothes. So that's the reason why I would say that. So I think that there's like a utility aspect along with, uh, you know, these stories get passed down for multiple reasons. There's all kinds of layers to the lessons, just like in, just like in any, um, oral tradition. But it was also known that the witchwood elder tree is another name for it, witchwood. If a cradle was built out of witch wood, the baby would be stolen by the fairies and or <laughs> pinched black and blue by the fairies. Like the fairies come to them in the middle of the night and they just start pinching and pinching and pinching and they get bruises. Like, where did all these bruises come from? Um, well, check the, check the crib. Oh my God, you bought an elder wood crib. It was on the Facebook marketplace for four bucks. <sighs> Don't you know? Um, so the elder tree to me is very obviously ruled by Saturn for whatever reason, there's some people that like to think that the elder tree, I think, uh, Sage of Popham says that it's Mar it's a Mars tree and that doesn't make sense to me at all. It makes no sense to me. I'm going to, uh, <laughs> Mars is hot. It's dry. It's action. Um, and elder is none of this elder is. Saturn is, has a lot to do with um, boundaries. Elder grows along the edge of the yard. It grows along the edge of the highway. You'll find it along the edge of farms. It doesn't grow in the middle. It doesn't grow. Um, it doesn't really like to grow right next to the house. Um, and if you have it growing right next to your house, then you might have a fairy problem infesting your house. <laughs> it likes to grow on the boundaries. That's what it really likes to do. That's a Saturn thing. That's the ring. That's the boundary. That's the, the Saturn is the last thing that we could see with our eyes. That is the, the boundary of our visible consciousness. That's the way that I like to think about what Saturn represents. Um, and because of its rings or because of its belt, it's all, all about boundaries and are also about a discipline like, um, hard lessons. Okay, the, the flowers, when it's in flower, they're upturned and they're milky white. They have this creamy milk color and they're so uh, elegant and maiden-like. That's the maiden form. And then as, it, as those flowers get pollinated and they turn into berries, it actually reverses and it makes these little black berries that uh, it's not like they, each berry is heavy or whatever, but they're on a, what's called a corum is looks like a little umbrella it's called a quorum though and it just starts there's a hundred of them on there and it just starts pulling the branch down and because the branches are really flexible it makes the tree look like it's old and hunched when it's in when the berries are ripe so that's to me is a is a very easy sign that it's saturnian it looks old makes the tree look old that's the crone phase so we have the maiden which is the youth. And then there's no adult phase really in this. Again, we're bypassing that. There's that close to God aspect of youth, the close to God aspect of, of elder crone wisdom. And that's pretty obvious to me, the Saturnian aspects. The other things too, I mean, this, this plant makes lots of sense in its medicinal applications for the Saturnian time of year, Capricorn, and then Aquarius, which is used to be ruled by Saturn. The, 
classic rulership, the hardest times of year, um, the hardest times of year to adapt, the hardest times of year on our immune systems and everything like that, having the elder. We're going to get into the medicine here in a second, but um, some other Saturnian uh, signatures would be the wood. The wood looks like um, bones that are easy to break. It really is easy to break um, and hollowed out. So that's another Saturnian thing. Capricorn rules the joints, it rules the bones and the hard, pithy places of the body, the hollow places. Again, the signatures of hollow plants, that is a signature of uh, portal, of transcendence or descendence, um, moving into another realm, right? We all moved from the, the womb of our mother through a portal into the light of the sun. And so there's a lot of times when you see plants that have a hollow stem, they have an association with birth or death. And in the case of elder, it's death. And I mean, death as in nature's death. It's the time of year that the sun is dying. The sun is dead. Everything outside looks like it's dead. It's not dead, dead. It's just condensing its energy. It's a cycle. Okay. It's not like the death to be feared. It's the, it's the death to prepare for and, um, be reborn again in the next cycle. Um, all right, so let's talk about the medicine of elder because like I was saying earlier, there's probably three or four or five plants that I use more than, uh, I don't know, 50% of the time. <laughs> and um, they are like my key four or five plants. Maybe one of these days I'll do, I'll do just a class on each one of those um, or the reasons why. But to me, elder is in that category. And back in uh, France, when it was ruled by the great Charlemagne, who was, I don't know, an emperor, I guess, uh, pope, uh, all of it. <laughs> um, he, was a, he was one of the greatest rulers of Western civilization, I suppose, as far as history goes. I don't know. I didn't know the guy. I didn't, I wasn't, as far as I know, I wasn't there. But he called Charlemagne, by the way, Charlemagne, um, something like, I don't know, 30 some presidents have traced their genetic lineage back to Charlemagne and Charlemagne traces his lineage back to Ramses the Great. So if you can trace your lineage to Charlemagne, then you are tracing your lineage back to Ramses the Great. Same with like the, the royal family of England and blah, blah, blah. It's all just one big stupid uh, bloodline. But anyway, Charlemagne called the elder tree, <laughs> the medicine chest of the people. And I've, I even read, I think Matthew would mention this, that he declared it, that it was mandatory to have, if you owned land or something like that, to have an elder tree growing on your land so that everybody could be well taken care of and whatnot. And why is it a medicine chest to the people? It's because every part of the plant is medicinal and every part, and this, this tree, all the different forms of medicine that it provides opens up all the organs of elimination, which is extremely important for moving through the stresses of detoxification, 
which is what we call sickness and illness. It's the stresses of the intelligence of the body's uh, detoxification. It's not, uh, so anyway, those organs of elimination are the lungs, <sighs> eliminating my uh, mucus from my lungs, eliminating toxic materials that I may have breathed in through the mucus. And then also what, you know, <laughs> when I'm, when I'm like all stressed out and I have a moment of relief, I just go, <sighs> and a sigh. That's eliminating <laughs> that stress. It's telling my body that it's gone. It's not just about moving out physical materials. Okay. We have the respiration of the skin. So sweating out um, toxic materials as well. Your body says, okay, I'm going to run a program uh, to wring out all of this excess toxins. I need to uh, increase the heat and uh, the surface tension of the muscles. And that's what we call a fever. That is a intelligent program of the body to remove toxic materials. And it's and it's the folly of modern medicine to suppress that. Well, elder um, improves the rate of respiration and improves the rate of elimination through this pathway. So that's how we could say it's supportive of that. Also, our skin, that is that is the the barrier, that is the boundary, that is the barrier between us and other. Like where do I see myself end? Well, if I see myself if I visualize, visualize, visualize myself, uh, envision is the word I'm combining here. Uh, the the biofield, the electric electrical magnetic field that I have around my body is also my boundary. Um, anyway, that's all Saturnian stuff, boundary stuff, right? So our respiration, sweating it out, um, holding your ground um, against. I don't know, spiritual attacks, emotional attacks. You can walk into a room where a bunch of people are low vibe and just hold your ground because your electromagnetic field is impenetrable. It can't be penetrated. <laughs> oh man, that's a hard word for me right now. Um, moving on, the colon, that's another one. Obviously you can eliminate things from your colon. Um, and going back to the Scorpio episodes, we could we know also the emotional implications of the water sign of Scorpio and how releasing things from the colon is a very important part of recycling emotional waste back into the world, uh, where it can be I don't know um, broken down again to something useful, like soil. Okay, um, kidneys. That eliminates through the urinary tract. That's pretty obvious. And of course, what's below the surface of that is the importance of the water that's in our body, the structure of our water, the, the valence, the electrical capacity of generating energy and uh, retaining energy and storage of memory, which water has. And so the kidneys are integral part of maintaining that balance and by eliminating uh, the excess water that is uh, it's like it's like throwing away 
dead batteries that doesn't have that charge. I don't know if that's something that we're supposed to do um, anymore, throwing away batteries. But anyway, that's what it's kind of like, recycling the batteries. And then finally, the last organ of elimination, uh, the main organ of elimination is upchuck, vomiting, throwing up, getting it out as it, as it immediately comes in, right? So um, everybody's been there, I'm sure, right? You get to... You get food that's not good, you drink too much, your body says, all right, I, I don't want to process this anymore. So I'm just going to try and eliminate it. Um, and, then, and then even feeling sick from news, from bad news, from something emotionally that's really hard to handle, um, things like that. Everybody knows about that too. So let me go through the plant here and we will talk about each one of those organs of elimination as we go through the plant. Where should I start? I'll start with the, um, the bark, which is the plant part of the plant that I don't have the most experience with. The bark is, um, it's a really good emetic, which means it helps you throw up per purgative, which means it helps you cleanse through the colon. And that is, would be considered to be toxic um, to people who don't want to throw up or don't want to have to <laughs> eliminate everything from their bowels. But back in time, um, understanding which plants did this was extremely important. I don't think people had the access to the best f uh, fresh food. I don't think they had the access to the best fresh water. It was really important. It was an extremely important part of um, survival was regularly eliminating these toxic waste from the, from your body. So nowadays, if you look in the field guide or if you look in the Google or something like that, it'll say it's toxic. Um, but back in time, if you look in those same references or those, you know, those older references, it would say it's medicinal for these reasons. Um, so I've heard, uh, I don't, Jim McDonald told me that, I don't know if you heard it from like, it's like a native lore or something like that, but if you strip the bark from top to down, then it will have more of a, a purgative effect through the colon. And if you strip the bark from the base of the tree to the top with a knife, then that'll have more uh, f for the vomiting effect. That's really fun. I really like to imagine things like that when harvesting. Like this is, this is a really fun thing to consider when you're harvesting a plant is asking the plant through ritual, through, I don't know, psychic connection, through the way that you tune in with the natural world, your intention of what you want to do with it. <laughs> if that was the case for me, I would have two separate jars. I would have one that would say elder bark harvested from the bottom up, elder bark harvested from the top down. There's two separate jars. And that's the way I would know. I'm telling the elder, uh, sometime when I use you, can you please help me um, throw up okay, or, or, or the opposite end? I think it's really, really fun to consider that, you know, it's not just a, it's not just a, a story that, you know, will never be able to be proven by science because science is never capable of seeing the magic or engaging in the, in the magic of communication and relationship with the natural world. As long as there's things like animal studies, that will never be the case, right? 
Um, so that's what I that's what I love about that. And then so take that lesson and apply that to all of your harvesting and um, for every plant and say, <laughs> when I call upon you, will you please um, do X, Y, Z for person A, B, and C? Things like that. Um, but I should mention though, before you just take a knife to the elder tree, that it's really important, according to the ancients, who regarded this tree as such an omen for death and, and bad luck if you processed it wrong, that you gotta get permission. You gotta ask the elder mother. There's some incantations that I read recently that were talking about like, let me take your sticks and when I'm gone and I'm tur- I turn to dust, then I will make sticks for you. I think that's a pretty good deal. I mean, what, what am I gonna be doing with my dust? Uh, hopefully making medicine. <laughs> that sounds like a pretty good deal. Um, but anyway, respect, being respectful, being respectful of the environment, right? Just having that, having that, uh, for foremost in your mind and then going into the playful realm and really listening, being in, t- in tune and being in touch, being psychically connected. And, um, maybe sometimes you'll, f- you'll get the sense that like asking for mi- permission is not enough. And that's, if that's the case, then, you know, maybe see, see where that takes you. In my experience, it is usually, especially if I say so with gratitude, if I have the intention of making medicine for the people, that's what I do. You know, I'm, hey, I use this. I'm going to be making medicine for the people. Um, this is the ways that I like to phrase it. And, um, but sometimes I get like a, a clear no. Or uh, do a little do a little song first, or tell me a story, or tell me a joke. And I like feeling um, that there's something beyond my own mind that is engaging with. <laughs> I don't know. That's that's actually there asking me. It makes me wonder: Is there a reason why I'm supposed to be sitting here a little bit longer? Uh, Maybe there's something in the spirit world that I'm not aware of that I'm supposed to be sitting here for another 15 seconds before harvesting this plant, before making my way in the world. So, okay, I'll sit here for another 15 seconds and uh, do a little jingle or something like that, something that comes to mind. Every once in a while, when I do something like that, I get the, the feeling of laughter, like from the fairies or something like that. Like, okay, it's all good. Um, okay. So that's the bark. And, you know, here's another thing too, about the, about the tree. It's really easy to propagate, super easy. So if you find an elder tree in the springtime, you feel comfortable with the wrath of, um, um, he who shall not be named (laughs) the, and the fairy mother and all of the magic and breaking apart that and uh, saying, okay, I'm going to take part of this and I'm going to put it in my garden for my own medicine uh, chest per the orders of Charlemagne. Um, it's easy. You just take a little piece of the of the tree, make sure that there's some greenness underneath the bark. You can easily flick, flick that up with your fingernail and see if there's some greenness. And all you have to do basically is stick it in the ground 
This is how magic this tree is. All you have to do is stick a piece of stick in the ground and then water it to make sure it's not like, you know, super dry soil. Put it in some wet soil. It likes wet soil. And it'll grow. And it'll turn into an elder tree. It's crazy. <laughs> it's so easy. Um, so let's see here. All right, moving up. The leaves. The leaves have... I've worked with the leaves before also for... Um, all of the conditions that elder is really helpful for. So allergies, um, detoxification symptoms that are formally known as the flus and cold, things like that. Um, that's, you know, as far as, as far as magic in this world goes, it's so magical. Um, there, maybe there is Bigfoot, maybe there is fairies, maybe there is, woolly mammoths but beyond the ice wall maybe there is um uh, santa claus but if we want to say something is a fairy if we want to say something is santa claus bigfoot and prove it using the scientific method using science using the law of identity and logic that this equals that then we're going to have to go to a place where fairies live we're going to have to isolate one and do all the proper controls. Make sure it's not just a lens flare or somebody shining a laser pointer or something like that, right? It's going to have to be all kinds of controls to make sure that this object that we're calling a fairy is actually that. Of course, that will never be done because we're not talking about something that can necessarily be captured in the material realm, right? When we're talking about fairies. And Bigfoot, you have to make sure it's not a bear, it's not a guy in a suit, something like that. We have to do all these proper controls. But see, Bigfoot, contrary to popular belief, Bigfoot is also an interdimensional creature capable of shifting in and out of you know material and spiritual realms. At least <laughs> that's how I would explain it, right? So it's funny. I'm making you know I'm making a point here. My point is that's all of these steps that would have to be done to explain. X being the fairy. Let's just say there's uh, there are presents under my tree because Santa brought them there. And if I wanted to prove that using the scientific method, I would have to isolate the thing called Santa. I would have to show in an experiment using controlled methods that the presents were brought by Santa, not by my parents, etc., etc., etc. And uh, but that hasn't been done. In virology, so it's funny because I'm talking about um, mystical, magical things. Some things that some people would even call made up. Yet our own scientific community has never seen a virus, any virus ever in nature existing. Wow. So how do we get this idea that viruses exist? And further, that elderberries are good at <laughs> preventing viral infections. Well, this is how virology works. You take a sample from a sick person, somebody who is exhibiting signs of detoxification. Let's just call it that. Somebody's ex exhibiting signs of detoxification. We're not even going to make a conclusion about what is going on. They got some, a runny nose. Okay, they'll take a sample of that snot. In virtually all cases, they won't even purify that sample. They'll just put that sample 
right onto a cell culture. But sometimes they'll purify it a little bit. They'll take out the debris. What they're not doing is running this thing through a centrifuge and finding a virus in that sample and then extracting the virus from that sample and putting that in a culture. Now, wouldn't that make sense if we were looking to isolate and use the law of identity and say that this thing equals that? So anyway, there's these further. They'll take the sample of the sick person, just the snot. Again, I'm, I'm jumping to conclusions by calling them sick. They're taking the snot from somebody who's exhibiting signs of snot, and they'll put that into a cell culture. And in that cell culture are the kidney cells of a monkey <laughs> and blood serum from a baby cow. They give that culture nutrition through the serum of the baby cow blood, and then eventually, after 7 to 14 days, they start giving it antibiotics. And when the cells start to die and they bust open, and all this debris starts spilling out, that's when they say, aha, look at this. And they put it, they dehydrate that sample, they stain it, they put it through all kinds of processes so that they can get an image. And then once it's been stained and dehydrated and everything like that, they say that, my friends, that we're seeing is the virus that killed this cell culture. What? It's like saying the maggots are the reason why the the um, roadkill is dead. Can you imagine that? So doesn't that sound like magic, except it's black magic, right? You take the snot of a sick person and then you mix it in a cauldron with the kidney of a, a green monkey. It's got to be green. And then you take the, the baby cow. It can't be born yet. It's got to be the serum from the babies in the side of the womb and you mix it in the cauldron. That's black magic. That's what it is. That's not, that's not stuff found in nature. Furthermore, once that image <laughs> has been created and they say, there it is. I mean, imagine jumping to that conclusion. The scientific method would say, fine. Okay, so, so there it is. That's the thing that's making the person sick. Show it makes somebody sick. Take that, isolate that whatever debris particle that you created in this crazy laboratory black magic experiment and make another healthy organism ill and exhibit the same symptoms. Okay, that's unethical. You can't do that. Well, there's plenty of, actually, there's plenty of volunteers throughout history who would volunteer for such an experiment. And there's plenty of cases throughout history where, um, and in, including now, testing on animals and everything like that, that they have tried to do that, that there's even our own United States military um, tried to do that back in the 20s with the Spanish flu. It's been, it's been attempted at least 50 times in documented experiments, and it's never been able to elicit the same response in a healthy person. So in other words, they would take that whatever disgusting black magic stuff, they would put it up the, the nose of a healthy person or they would inject it into them and they would not get sick. So, all right. So virology is refuted. It's a pseudoscience. It is 
black magic at the worst and pseudoscience at best. And so we know, if we look into this a little bit more, that viruses don't exist in nature and they're not, therefore, incapable of transmitting illness from one person to another. They don't exist. Even the way that they describe them. Think about it. They describe them as, well, they're not living. They're not actually living, but they are still capable of opening up a cell and replicating and hijacking. And then uh, you're telling me that the zipper that's on my coat is capable of uh, going to all the other coats (laughs) in the wardrobe and unzipping them and using their fabric and making other non-living fabric coats then that are just going to keep replicating and replicating until the wardrobe explodes. That's nonsense. Obviously, (laughs) even the way that they explain it. So, so what's the deal then? Why, why is it that some people, I mean, this is, it just keeps begging the question then, which is fine because that's what vitalism is. It's following um, the signs and patterns and not, not necessarily stopping on pseudoscientific black magic. So we have, let's just say, two children. They go to school. One of them comes back home uh, from school. They start exhibiting signs of detoxification. Their nose starts running. Uh, They have a sore throat. They're coughing a lot. They have a lot of mucus. And as they're moving through that process, um, somebody else in the household starts to get ill. So why? What would be the case for that? Well, there could be a, a million reasons and potentially lots of them worth studying um, using the scientific method. But we, but we can say with uh, certainty that from using the scientific method that there is no such thing as a virus, doesn't exist in nature, hasn't been found. And so we can... That's great. We have the scientific method. It's not there to prove things. It's there to rule things out. So we can say, okay, well, uh, maybe it was a fairy. Maybe <laughs> maybe it was, uh, oh, that's, that's nonsense. It can't be a fairy. Those don't exist. Okay, well, maybe it was a virus. Well, that's also nonsense. <laughs> we don't see them. They don't exist. They can only be created and they can in a lab under certain conditions. And even then they still don't. There's still not an example of proving the illness. Um, so what's what else could be likely? Well, somebody, I don't know, maybe it's because we're electric beings and we're capable of running similar detoxification programs when um, we are in proximity with other people who are exhibiting um, these responses as a sympathetic and safe way in order to detoxify ourselves. Um I mean, is it absurd to think that when I yawn and somebody else across the room yawns that it's because, uh, (laughs) I don't know, there's some sort of unseen, sympathetic, electromagnetic uh, resonance that's going on? Same thing with um, women menstruating together or people laughing at the same time or somebody that has a bad vibe. I mean... Does anybody ever consider the possibility that when I when I yawn and somebody else across the room yawns that it's because a yawn virus left my mouth and went across the room and went into somebody else's nose and it started replicating 
and uh, into their brain and it made them yawn immediately. I mean, that sounds absurd, obviously. Um, <laughs> so that's the idea here, that there's probably more likely some have, have something to do with some sort of resonance response. In any case, what's true is that the illness is not from a source of infection. It is the program of the body to detoxify. That's what it is. And so when I'm talking about elder and this as a great ally for this, I want to make it clear that it's not an antiviral because that's like saying it's an, that's like saying it's anti Bigfoot. You know what? That would be an insult to Bigfoot. It's actually on the table that Bigfoot still exists because it hasn't been ruled out using the scientific method that he doesn't exist like it does, like it has with viruses. You know, and there's all this stuff about anti, anti this, anti that. Oh, he's an anti-vaxxer. Oh, he's an anti-government. Oh, blah, blah, blah. From now on, we're no longer going to go into the dialectic of the opposition. We'll just talk about how things are supportive. Okay. Supportive of vital health. Supportive of community uh, moral governance. <laughs> supportive, in the case of elderberry, supportive of the body's ability to regulate the viscosity of mucus. That's a highly important part of our quote unquote immune system, which also doesn't actually exist. <laughs> it's a concept. It doesn't, there's no like thing that you can go into the body and pull out and say, this is the immune system. Like you can with the digestion or the circulatory system. It's just a concept. But anyway, okay. So elderflower, let's start there. Elderflower, how is, how does it help the conceptual immune system? Well, it helps by it is a very, very relaxing diaphoretic. It is, to me, it's the archetype of relaxing diaphoretics. Okay, what does that mean? And a diaphoretic is something that helps regulate the tension on the skin so that we can respirate. And there's that organ of elimination through the skin, respiration, sweating. Um, so if the body realizes that there's some sort of toxic load and in order, the best way to get rid of it is to turn up the temperature of the body and uh, increase muscular tension and uh, open up the pores of the skin so that it can pour it out. Um, that's what we would call a fever. Like that's the body's response to some sort of detoxification, okay? Well, sometimes in that program, uh, there's some sort of tension going on, whether it's mental or physical or whatever the body's incapable of sweating. And for some people like that have like a colder constitution, maybe they're tent, more tense, um, that tension is just locked up in their core. It's not it, incapable of moving out to the periphery. So elderflower is a really nice, it's extremely gentle, um, relaxing diaphoretic. There's some other types of diaphoretics that are like really make you sweat. And they're super heroic and they, they are like commanding you to sweat like ginger and cayenne. And then there's other things that are just like, you know, they kind of get into your, 
to your body and they give like little yin maiden massages and they just say, oh, it's okay, you can, you can relax all that tension that you have there so that you can open up the gates and let things move out. And because of that, elderflower is suitable for infants up to 115 years old or whatever. It's suitable for everybody because it's so gentle. So it'll help with regulating the discomfort of a fever and helping regulate the temperature diff- changes that can, in a fever process, can feel, that's what makes people feel really yucky, is that violent change. So if you can move through your detoxification process in a relatively gentle way, then all's well, right? When your body, when you have like some sort of resistance to that detoxification, that's when things become hard. That's when it's hard to be sick. And so elderflower is really helpful for that. Secondarily, it also helps improve the body's ability to mobilize the um, killer T cells and so on that are cleaning up debris, cleaning up excess um, garbage, metabolic waste in our tissues through the mucus. It helps regulate the flow of the mucus, the viscosity. So that means that if your mucus is too stuck and gooey, it'll thin it out. And if it's too thin, it'll stuckify it. (laughs) And that's why it's extremely beneficial, not just for what we are formally calling colds and flus, but, um, or detoxification events, but also what we could call allergies, the, the, detoxification response to an allergic toxin, okay? What's for, what we'll formally call allergies. Elderberry, elderflower are awesome for, for allergies. Let me just put it simply. Now that you know what I mean when I say allergies, I don't mean the same thing that most people mean. I mean the body's detoxification. The innate intelligence of the body to recognize that I don't like that. I don't want that in me. And so I'm going to get it out. Well, medicine, modern medicine says, no, stop, stop. Don't, no, no, stop those symptoms. Keep it in. Keep it in. We don't want you to sneeze. We'll stop a sneeze. We don't want you to cough. We'll stop it. Stop the cough. Plug it up. We don't want you to have a fever. Turn the fever down. Turn it down. It's too hot. Then that detoxification is stalled and all of all of the intelligence of the body says, well, shoot, I, I thought I was on the same page as my human here. I guess I will put this into a deeper phase of the tissues and compartmentalize it and um, it'll express itself as chronic problems again someday. That's the idea with working with fevers, working with elderflower for fevers is that it's very, very helpful at progressing this along so that the mission is done. So elderflower, one of my favorite ways to work with it is dried elderflower in a tea. Oh, I just, I like to have like a half a pound in my cabinet for the winter. I just think it's such an amazing plant to have at the first sign of sniffles, at the first sign of any feeling yuckiness. I love the flavor of it. Elderflower itself has this like animalistic smell to it, which to me is very Capricorn. That's very goaty, this animal, um, 
because Capricorn is not just the goat, but it's also the devil. It's the, it's the, uh, animal offering. <laughs> it is, it's, it's all of that stuff. It's got to be somewhere in the Zodiac and it's in Capricorn. And, uh, so that's what it smells like to me. It smells like, um, I don't know. It smells like animal, um, like a, like a, like an animal smells and it's flowery. It's very polleny and flowery. And so I like that. I think a lot of people do, but, um, my favorite is elderflower tea. I combine it usually with yarrow and peppermint and some chai spices or something like that. Um, I've also typically every spring, I like to make an elderflower soda. So I'll take elderflowers, I'll put them in some water that has uh, enough sugar to bring a fermentation and some lemons or some oranges and some spices like clove or something like that. And I'll just let it ferment for, I don't know, five, four or five days in the summertime. And it's becomes like a nice fizzy lacto fermented soda. And you can um, add that to some sparkling water if you want or whatever, or just drink it as it is, or let it keep fermenting and turn it into a wine. That's really awesome too. I usually make elderflower wine. I'll make a little bit of soda and then I'll make, and then I'll leave some and let it turn into wine. Um, and then I'll usually take some elderflowers and just put them into some sugar water and I'll make a, um, a s simple syrup. And that's really yummy too, especially if you do it with some like lemon or some sort of citrus. It's just awesome. It tastes great. And, um, we used that when my son was like, I don't know, six months old or something like that. He had, um, I don't know, some sort of, he didn't have a fever, but he had a, he had a, uh, an event going on where he felt a little hotter. So we just had some elderflower tea, put a little elderflower tea in the bathtub. Boom. Felt better. He was just like, uh, fussy because he felt a little hotter at night or something like that. I, I, I don't, rem I don't remember exactly. Um, and, uh, so that's that. Okay. Elderberries. So once they get pollinated, so yeah, when you harvest the elderflowers, what I like to do is I like to like pull the, the top of the tree down and get the elderflowers from the top of the tree, because where you take the elderflowers from the tree, there's not going to be berries. And I'm into the, like the low hanging fruit. <laughs> and so I want to leave my flowers to go to berries that are going to be like easy to reach because the berries are a little bit harder to work with. Um, but the berries do pretty much everything that the elderflowers do, except a little bit better in some departments and not so good in other departments. Like I think elderflower it, to me is one of the best things for what we'll call a flu or cold. What, what I'll say is exhibiting signs of a fever detoxification. Okay. That's they're the best for that. Combining them together for allergies, they're awesome. Elder berries, though, if you look at the berry, they have a signature of the alveoli of the lungs, the little air sacs of the lungs. They're dark, they're blue. They have this like really dark venous looking the corum, the little umbel that holds onto it. It turn it looks like blood vessels. It has all of these signatures. So it's really helpful for the lungs. It's really helpful for reconstituting the lungs. If the lungs have gone through some sort of detoxification event, let's say somebody's had a cough and they've like really hacked it up and they had like a lot of mucus for three or four days or something like that. The terrain of the mucosal tissue in the lungs is going to be a little rough. It's going to be a little patchy. And a lot of times that can be nice groundwork for 
um, thing for it's you know it's a microbiome. We want to make sure that it's healthy, that it's clear. The way that I think about it in my mind is that if some um, if you have a field and then you have like a festival in that field and people are like driving their trucks and they're like camping and they're throwing their garbage and stuff like that. Everybody's walking around and it rains and it turns into like a big mud pit. Well, what was once grass, now it's going to grow back up to be like a whole bunch of different weeds because all of the soil has been disturbed and everything like that. And now it's like a different, completely different biome. And so what elderberries do is they are really, really helpful for keeping our microbiome of our mucosal tissue, specifically in the lungs and sinuses, in a healthy state through the improvement of the viscosity of the mucus and not because they're antiviral um, and not because they're anti-Bigfoot and not because they're anti-Santa Claus and not because um, of any of that stuff. Um, they're also really high in all kinds of things like antioxidants and bioflavonoids and blah, 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 that are really helpful for um, toning the circulatory system for, that would be uh, important for people who have like heart conditions or people who have uh, cholesterol problems, things like that. I love elderberries as a way of restoring the oxygenation capacity for blood. So that's quite apparent in the signature. It looks like deoxygenated blood. It looks like veins. It looks like the veins, when the blood comes back to be to become oxygenated, at the, at the point, the furthest point from being oxygenated is also the point where it is oxygenated. That's the lungs. So it comes all the way back to the lungs, from the periphery all the way back to the lungs. And there's your negative polarity again. Positive polarity, uh, Hawthorne berry going outwards, projecting outwards to the, to the fingertips, and then negative polarity, divine feminine, bringing it back inwards from the fingertips all the way back to the lungs to receive, this is a feminine word, receive that oxygen again. And so I would, I would recommend elderberries uh, on a long-term basis for people who are working with oxygenating their blood. That's covering the lungs. That's covering the, the capacity of the blood vessels. That's, that's covering all of that. It's covering the uh, flavonoids and all of the antioxidants that are really important for that electrical uh, valence to occur. Okay, so I make with elderberries. I mean, this is like elderberries have been like a cash crop for me. <laughs> they really have. They are... To me, some of the best, it's like some of the most effective medicine ever as far as herbal medicine goes. Why? Because it covers so many bases right at the core and it's delicious. It's elderberry purple. It's delicious and it's purple. It's the reason why I'm feeling so good. And because, look, if kids like it, then moms like it. <laughs> it's simple as that. And so I make elderberry syrup. I make it, I've made it a, the same way, the same recipe, like pretty much once a week, big old batch once a week for the last, I don't know, since 2012, basically. And that's how I started uh, herbalism is making elderberry syrup and selling it at markets along with some fire cider. And it's just been, um, I, I, I wish I could, 
share with you all of the stories that I have on people that they, the, their testimonies of health and well being from the medicine of elderberries. Not just the elderberry syrup, but I have another one called Nail in My Coffin. That's an elderberry cough syrup. Haha, <laughs> get it? Nail in My Coffin. And that's some Capricornian. Um, it's perfect Capricornian because Capricorn is death. It's the, it's not just, it's like the end of the year, death of the year. It's the coffin. It's the, um, it's comedy and tragedy. That's what, those are both Capricorn things, comedy and tragedy. <laughs> perfect Capricorn pun. Um, and that one's, um, elderberries extracted. It's like a bunch of other lung herbs too, but it's extracted in vinegar and honey. So it's got a little bit more of a expectorant, uh, to sieve, uh, breaking apart mucus action. Whereas the elderberry syrup is just so delicious. And you can put that on pancakes, put it on yogurt, just take it by the spoon. I always tell parents too, when they're asking about like the dosage and stuff like that, it's like, think about, you know, if you think about how you would um, present something like that to your kids. Do you want them to think that it's medicine or do you want them to think that it's food? Let food be thy medicine. So there's some parents that come in and their kids will run right up to the refrigerator. They'll come in with their kids and their kids will go, purple circle, right up to the refrigerator and they'll get the purple. So mom, can I have some purple circle? Because that's what I call it, purple circle. And uh, <laughs> that's great. It doesn't have to be a spoon that, you know, that, that causes resistance because the kid is sick and doesn't want, you know, know-it-all mom to intervene or whatever. Just take some elderberry syrup, you know, a couple times a week during the hard times of the year, the Saturnian times of the year, to help improve the viscosity of the mucus, to help improve the body's ability to have a fortified boundary, you know, it doesn't have to be some sort of weird pseudoscientific approach in uh, having all of these lies to talk about, you know, it's antiviral and stuff like that. We could just say it helps with, it helps with your boundaries. It helps with your immune system. They can set that concept, whatever that is. <laughs> uh, I love elderberries. I love harvesting elderberries. There's like a rite of passage to medicine making when you find an elder tree and you take the berries with respect to, you know, ye old Voldemort, that you are, you have suddenly in your hand, you have a little flower quorum that has 100 berries on it. And you think to yourself, how am I gonna, what am I gonna, how am I gonna turn this into elderberry syrup? You could take them one by one and kind of flick them off with your hands. You could run a fork through them like you're combing them. The idea is that you want to take that stem part away, but the stem is so fragile. It's so easy to break off. The stem has some of those emetic qualities. It has some of that. It's really it has a bitter flavor, so it makes an off flavor, but it makes the medicine more vomity, <laughs> I guess you could say. Hey, maybe you want that. But as, as far as flavor goes, it's important to just get the berries off. And it takes a lot of patience and it takes a lot of concentration. And eventually you find yourself when you're 
combing through elderberries in this Zen-like state where you're no longer doing anything at all. You're, you're just moving. Your body is just moving. Your mind is just present right there. It's like the state of nothingness. I love it. It's the hollowness inside of the tube of the stalk of the elder. That's where we are. That's, that's hollow point of nothingness. That's where we become. It's like becoming one with the elder. It's very Zen. I love it. Um, but now I have other people do it for me. <laughs> too busy, man. I'm just kidding. I, I really do enjoy that. I take, I take, uh, time to do that at home when I make my own elderberry medicine, but when I'm making it for, um, the public and stuff like that and doing whatever I'm doing with the elders that I harvest, typically when I harvest elderberries, they're going to be in, uh, tinctures and stuff like that. Not so much in the syrup. I get those dried, but, um, that is a great rite of passage. And I also like to make elderberry jam. I do that every year. I'm like elderberry jam with put some apples cause they're usually ripe at the same time. So we'll get some feral apples and some elderberries. And, um, that's, um, one of my favorite things to do at the end of the year. And then they say, whatever is still on the tree after Samhain, after Halloween, make a wine with that. Well, I've never found much after Halloween, to be honest. It's always just like one or two or three because <laughs> the birds get them. You got to get, you got to, if you have an elder tree, you got to get out there and get them as soon as they're ripe because the birds will get them. Um, but they say that if there's any still on the tree after Halloween, that that can make us especially magic mystical potion. And I mean like magic something that you would use for ritual. But otherwise, I love elderberry wine. It is so good. Another glass for my health, please. That's what I say. But anyway, um, whatever the case is, whatever somebody says, if somebody says they have a cold or a flu, I'm still going to recommend elderberry. I'm not going to say it doesn't. No, you don't. Um, <laughs> I mean, unless people really want to have a ask me what my thoughts are, then I'll tell them, but I'm not going to be dismissive. I'm going to do what I have to do to help people. That's my job. And I know that elder is really helpful for these conditions, whatever we call them and whatever we, we, whatever power we give them through our consent. Okay. Even if they don't necessarily exist at only as egregores, only as figments of the imagination that become material through our the power of our imagination. That's possible. Um, but in any case, I think elderberry, elderflower are some of the most incredible utilized medicines I know. They're so magical in that way, in their ability to get somebody who's going through something and bring them back to health. And that's, you know, that's basic mundane stuff. When somebody says like, I'm better. I've been sick for a long time and now I'm better. Thanks to you. Blah, blah, blah. That's awesome. I love that. I love that. Um, but I'm, I'm, I never really feel like taking credit. So that's why I don't write it down. I give, uh, glory to God. I'm grateful for the plants. I'm grateful for the medicine and the abundance in this natural world that, and the ability that I have to, uh, offer that as a, as a whatever in whatever capacity I have. But yeah, as far as 
herbs are concerned, pound by pound, um, I think I purchase more elderberries a year and make more elderberry medicine than any other plant by a long shot. Like, dude, I'm putting like two pounds of elderberries in a batch of elderberry syrup a week. And that's just elderberry syrup. I got the elderberry cough syrup. I got the elderberries going in my young lung. They're going in my allergizy. They go in my elderberry chaga tincture. They go in my elderberry tea. They go in blah, 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 blah. Elderberry this, elderberry that, elderberry everything. Elderberry wine. So, um, and then that's just the elderberries. Of course, we have elderflowers. So let me just do a quick recap to end this program going from the berries in reverse. Uh, berries, great for lungs, great for circulatory health, great for the sinuses, any type of mucosal tissue uh, anomalies, whether that's mucus related or whatever, um, and restorative and blood building. The flowers as a, an amazing diaphoretic to open up the vents and help assist with the detoxification of the body. They're also the kidney tonic. I forgot to mention that. They're also the di diuretic as well. And they're also going to support the mucosal tissues, so allergies and that type of stuff. Um, we got the leaves. That's really helpful for broken bones. Did I mention that? Broken bones, uh, repairing joints, repairing broken bones. I've used them for that before too. Yes, I have. And um, the bark, emetic, getting things up, vomiting, moving things out, colon, that covers all the organs of elimination. Of course, they're a magical plant. Of course, magic is real. And uh, we could stay up late at night on the midsummer's uh, night and uh, watch the fairy king return to his bride, the elf, the fairy mother, the elf mother, and Voldemort, Voldemort in, that lives in the elder tree, receiving that negative charge which is an aspect of nature it's not to be feared there's nothing to be feared about capricorn and the devil and death and the death of the sun and achieving great heights and looking up again going up 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 the mountain slope like a like a goat does and um yeah i bet you i guess that's it as far as elders concerned I think <laughs> I know there's always a few things that I that I wish I would have mentioned when I'm in my zone but that's what comes to mind alrighty well flow state complete that's it for the herb of the week thanks so much for listening and until next week we'll see you then ciao for now